0: You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington, DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. Well, growing up, the TV was on in my house a lot. Today, I really don't watch TV, but growing up, my dad would always have the TV on in the living room, and he would be watching sitcoms. He's, he's a big sitcoms guy, so he would be watching shows like Seinfeld and shows like Friends, That 70s Show, and things like that. Now, to be honest, I never really got into any of these shows, uh, maybe sadly for some of you, but I, I don't mind the shows either. I have nothing against the shows in particular, there's there's some funny moments in some of those shows. There's uh, what we might call some comedic gold in some of those shows that you, you can appreciate things in those shows. But there was this one show growing up that I absolutely and totally despised. I absolutely hated it. It will be up on the screen. I'm not saying the actors, but the the characters. It was this show called The Big Bang Theory. This is just an awful, 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 awful show. I'm not saying immoral, which it probably is, but the, the main character, this guy, this guy Sheldon, he probably needs to get beat up a little bit. But uh, eventually I moved out of the house, and over the last couple years I've noticed that due to our society's obsession with origin stories, they now have another show dedicated to a younger version of this character called Young Sheldon. Shoot me. Uh, I've never watched it, and by God's grace, I, I never will. The show is consistent with our cultures, our society's obsession with origin stories. And so it's just kind of, it's kind of riding that wave, we might say. An origin story is essentially the story of how a person or how a thing became what it is today. It's history but it's also living history. It's trying to show how something happened. Now, I mentioned all of this this morning. Why do I mention all of this? Well, because this morning we are looking at the origin story of the Christian faith. We are looking at the origin story of the first followers of Jesus Christ. We're looking at the origin story of this movement called the church, this movement called Christianity that continues to sweep the earth, that continues to change lives and transforms hearts. And what we'll see this morning is it all started with Jesus calling people to follow him, to follow him. It wasn't mass mailers. It wasn't the Lord coming up to people and saying, here's the Apostles' Creed, you should believe it. It was Jesus encountering individuals like you and I. It was Jesus himself meeting individuals like you and I that shook them to the core. I I recently read a, uh, I think it was a LinkedIn post, maybe it was a Uh, an online post somewhere, but the the post talked about why do people follow people? Why do people follow people? And so it listed things like leadership expertise. It listed things like like shared values, shared beliefs, things like inspiration, things like, like expertise in a field. But to follow Jesus is not related to any of those things. Instead, we follow Jesus this morning. We know Jesus for a different reason this morning. It's because he's encountered us. It's because once we really met him, we were never the same. We were never the same. This morning, wherever you're at, we'll finally see the first words of Jesus in our study in the Gospel of John. And those first words are, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? What are you seeking? This is the question that comes at us this morning. What are you looking for? What are you actually seeking in your life? Is it acceptance? Is it approval? Is it position? Is it excitement? Is it escape? Is it security? Is it experience? Is it approval? What do you dream about? What's the best moment in your future that you're dreaming about? Is it your wedding? Is it a powerful position? Is it to get out of this city? Is it to live in this city? Is it to have more money? Is it to be respected? What really is it? I know pastors drop this inventory list of questions on us all the time, but what really is it? Jesus says, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Why are you here? But as we'll see this morning, just right after he drops this question, he drops another question. He drops an invitation, we might say. He says, come and see, come and see who I am, come and see what I've done, come and see what only I can give you. And this morning, God is inviting each of us to come and see, to experience Jesus Christ in a new way, in a renewed way, to consider his mercy and his love for you this morning. My main idea is essentially going to follow that idea. It's the main idea of this passage. It'll be up on the screen and it's this come and see come and see come and see who he is what he's done and what he'll do my main points are also going to be up on the screen they're going to follow the flow of this passage there's three points number one jesus calls you to come and see number two jesus invites you to be transformed and number three jesus shows you the upward journey who you follow matters it always will it always has Let's look at this first point he calls us to come and see, verse 35. It starts like this. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. So we pick up where we left off last week, except it's the next day. The day before, John the Baptist was questioned. Some of the assistants of the, the leading Jewish priests, they, they ask him for a statement. John's thoughts, his teachings, his, his message, he's become somewhat popular. He's also been baptizing people with water. And so they want to know who are you? They ask, are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? Who are you they ask? And he responds, he says, "No. I'm none of those people." He says, "I am the voice of the one preparing the way for the Lord." He says essentially, he's not the main act. He says the he's the opening act. He says the main events coming And he's going to baptize you not with water, but with the very spirit of God, an outer power that's going to create an inner wonder in you of faith and life. And so they all go to sleep. And back to verse 35, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. So John's probably in a private place, maybe outside, He's talking with two of his disciples. We don't know what they're up to. But all of a sudden, Jesus starts walking by. We don't know where he's headed either, but they cross paths. And John, he, he loses all of his focus and he drops what he's doing. And, and he looks out at Jesus there, maybe in the distance. And to his disciples, he says, look, there he is, the Lamb of God. Now, given the context, we don't really know if Jesus heard him. But John's disciples definitely hear him. They don't really understand the the Lamb of God reference fully, not yet at least. But they know this is the main event that John's been talking about. Verse 37. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Meaning, literally, they start walking. They start walking behind him. They switch who they're following. They were following John, and now they're following Jesus. Verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? He kind of stops he notices that there's, there's two guys kind of tracking him. They're on his tail. And, and he stops and he kind of says, hey there, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? He essentially says, hey, why are you following me? He's actually saying, what's the reason? What's the deep reason deep down inside that you're following me? He says, what are you looking for? Now, whatever the answers were, he certainly knows. He knows their hearts. But he asks them this question so that they would look into their own hearts. So they'd ask, why? Why are we following this guy? And the passage goes on. The disciples look back at him. They they probably assume he's a rabbi given the way he's dressed. And so they say, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? They say, where are you staying? Where's your apartment? They say, we have so many questions for you. We have so many questions for you. We want to spend some time with you. So they don't really answer the question directly but what's important here is that their little faith is good enough for jesus here he knows that whatever their bottom line desires are whatever their bottom line hopes are because he's good he's going to invite them into something better he's going to show them that whatever their desires might be he can do better that whatever the echoes whatever the shadows of the good things they're seeking might be he's the real thing and so he drops the invitation An invitation filled with jam packed meaning. He says, verse 39, come and you will see. Come and see. Meaning, come and spend time with me. Verse 39. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour, or we might say 4 p.m. Now, this morning, wherever you might be, the same question comes at us What are you seeking? What are you looking for in this life? Is it acceptance? Is it position? Is it power? Is it excitement? Is it escape? Is it love? Is it security? Is it experience? What is it that you're dreaming about? Because if this morning, if you would come with just a little bit of faith, that's good enough for Jesus. Because He's inviting you to come and to see. To come and to see who He is. Just a little bit of faith this morning. Is good enough for Jesus Christ. Because He knows whatever your bottom line hopes are. He knows whatever your your desires might be that He can do better for you this morning. Whatever the echoes and the shadows of the things, the good things that you might be seeking, He says He's the real thing. And this morning He invites you to come and to see. To come and to see. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to come and to see? Well, it doesn't mean don't question. And it certainly doesn't, doesn't mean, well, just find out whatever might work for you. Come and see essentially means to come and to think. To come and to think. To experience the Son of God. Now, how can we do that? Because you might be here maybe for the first time, or you're exploring Christianity, or you've been adjacent to the, to the Jesus thing a lot of your life. How can you do this? Because we can't go to his apartment. We, we can't watch a movie of him. We can't jump on YouTube and watch a clip of of Jesus back then. So how can we do this? How can we come and see? Well, the short answer is one of the ways that you can do this, one of the ways that you can come and see is by immersing yourself in this gospel, by reading the gospel of John. The gospel accounts are written as eyewitness accounts. They're written in a way that screams, this isn't a legend. This This isn't something I just made up or something I just heard. They don't read like the Iliad or something by Virgil. There's specific details. There's specific places and names. The entire way that the Gospels is written is an invitation to come and see, to come and to think, to experience the Son of God. Now, how do you know if you've actually done that? How do you know that you've actually come and saw? Well, the short answer is that you will reach a conclusion. And your conclusion will either be really, really hot or your conclusion will either be really, or it will be really, really cold. You won't be in the middle. If you come and see, your mind will be pushed to a conclusion that is at the boundaries of belief. Either really, really hot, or really, really cold. What do I mean? Well, you're either going to have to conclude, as you read the Gospels, as you read the story of Christianity, as you read the New Testament, you're either going to have to conclude there was a group of Jews who, though their entire life they were taught that a human being could never be God, they made up this lie, they, they made up a series of deliberate lies, and they went and then they died for those lies. They lived their lives with such power that, that they, they changed the Roman world, but at the end of the day, it was just a lie. Or, you're going to conclude something completely different. That there was a group of first century Jews who experienced something in Jesus Christ that changed their lives. It turned their lives upside down. And they went, and they were willing to surrender it all. And they lived lives with such power that the entire Roman world was overcome. And at the end of the day, it's the truth. Hot or cold, there's nothing in between. They're both hard to believe, but to come and see means you reach a conclusion. And now your life is going either way. Either this is really real and it changes everything, or this is a, this is a farce and it's irrelevant. To come and see means you will reach a conclusion. It'll be on the boundaries of belief. Hard to believe either way, but it will change your life. Just a little bit of faith this morning is good enough for Jesus Christ. He invites you to come and to see. The passage goes on, and we see our next point. Jesus invites you to be transformed. First, he invites them to come and see, and now he'll invite us to be transformed. Verse 40, One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So we learn one of the two disciples' names here. It's Andrew. And what he does after he came and saw is he goes and tells. He finds his brother Simon, and he tells him, we found the Messiah. And he brings his his brother Simon to Jesus. Now, there was probably a lot more discussion that happened, but John records the most memorable thing that happened here. There was this moment, Simon walks in, and he locks eyes with Jesus Christ. And there was probably an instant connection. They had never met, but Jesus fully knows him. And perhaps perhaps with a smile, he just said, you are Simon. You're the son of John. Your name will will be Cephas or Peter, literally Rock. So he gives him this nickname. He gives him this new name. Now, as you think about nicknames, nicknames typically, they're usually based on a past event or some type of defining characteristic. They're based on some past event or some type of defining characteristic. For instance, in high school, I played defensive line. And so every time I got a sack or every time I would hit the running back, the announcer would say, and I can't use this name after today, he would say, that's Battering Ben Palka. Now, definitely don't, don't use that phrase because that's not good to associate with a pastor. But I had the nickname Battering because of, because of my play style. It was a defining characteristic. Uh, think about it. We, we might give some other examples uh, uh, a Michigan sports writer watched a high school basketball player do amazing things in the past with a basketball, and we were introduced to Magic Johnson. Or think politics. Mary, the, the Queen of England, became Bloody Mary. How? Because she, she burned 300 dissenters at the stake. So nicknames typically, in our, in our world, in our experience, nicknames are typically based on something in our past. Or some type of defining characteristic true of us. But with God, it's totally different. It's totally different. When He gives a person a nickname, it's usually a prophetic nickname, it's a way for Him to declare His intent for a person. And here Jesus is declaring His intent to transform Simon into Peter, literally the rock. Yet we know Simon's nothing like a rock, He's emotionally unstable. He's impulsive. He's moody like a roller coaster. But Jesus lets him know here that he will be transformed into a rock. And as we read the Scriptures, we find out this is exactly what happens. Simon becomes Peter. And when we turn to 1 Peter, when we turn to 2 Peter, we we read the words of a man who has been completely transformed by God's grace. Which is what Jesus does to every true disciple. He transforms them. And this, of course, is the gospel. That God accepts you on the basis not of your past, but on the basis of Jesus Christ's past. He accepts you not on the basis of what you've done, what you've performed, or some defining characteristic, but totally by what He has accomplished for you. That's good news this morning, and it can transform your life. The passage goes on, and we meet another two people. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Again, John probably records the most memorable moment between Jesus and this guy Philip here. It's this, it's this moment where, where Jesus looks at Philip in the eyes and he says, follow me. And that, of course, changes his life. So much so that he, just like Andrew, who came and saw and goes and tells, Philip now goes and tells, verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip's life has been changed by Jesus, and he starts thinking about his friend Nathanael. Philip realizes this is the Messiah, and so he wants his friend Nathanael to know. So he goes and he tells him, he says, We have found the one that was written about in the Scriptures. But notice Nathanael's response. Nathaniel's a bit of a skeptic. He's a bit cautious. Verse 46. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? says Nathanael. In, in other words, Nathaniel's not too excited. He says, Nazareth, Nazareth is, is essentially the, the armpit of the nation. He, 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 he's thinking there's nothing good there. There's nothing good that could come out of there. And he might even be thinking, wait, doesn't the Messiah come out of, out of Bethlehem? So he's got some biases. He's, he's not a very optimistic guy. He's probably a, a realist, we might say. But notice what Philip says to him, verse 46. Come and see. As he borrows Jesus' phrase. Philip says to Nathaniel, come and meet him yourself. Just like a great movie we've watched, Philip says, come and watch it yourself. Come and experience it yourself. Nathaniel decides he'll give it a try, probably pretty reluctantly, and he starts walking towards wherever Jesus was, verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael's closing in on Jesus. He's maybe within a couple feet from Jesus. Jesus sees him, and just like Simon, they, though they've never met, Jesus knows him. And he says, There he is, someone real, someone who's honest, someone who's true. He says it so Nathaniel can hear, and probably so some of the guys around him can hear. What he's doing here is he's highlighting something good in Nathaniel. He calls it out, something that Nathaniel would have taken pride in himself about, in a good way. Jesus looks at him and he says, "Here's an honest guy. Here's a no-nonsense guy. Jesus, he's calling out the evidences of grace in his life. And notice what Nathaniel says, verse 48. Nathaniel said to him, "How do you know me?" How do you know me? Nathaniel says, you just nailed it. You just nailed my Enneagram. You just nailed my Myers-Briggs. The most important thing about me is I'm a realist. I'm true. I'm not a fluffy optimist. I'm cautious. And this guy just recognized me as this. He says, how do you know me? Verse 48, Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. His life is transformed in a second. How? How? Because Jesus said, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. The fig tree probably represented a moment to Nathaniel. There was this moment that he'd forgotten about, maybe, maybe a special moment. A moment that he'd never shared with anybody. There was this moment where he may have been in deep, deep grief perhaps about losing someone and that day he sat there in reflection and in pain and maybe there was this peace maybe there was this tranquility maybe there was this calmness this perspective that came upon him and he felt like in that moment he could see clearly he could see the world clearly what mattered what counted or or maybe there was this moment where he had messed up something so bad and he went outside at night and he sat next to that special fig tree he had since he was a kid And all by himself, he cries out to God. He cries out to anything and everything that could hear him. And he sat there until he cried every tear. And he never told anybody about it. Or or maybe there was a moment where he was rejected terribly. And he went and he sat under that tree that nobody knew about. And for a few moments, he thought about taking radical steps to redirect his life. But sense finally came upon him. Clarity came upon him, and he walked away. He didn't jump off the proverbial cliff, so to speak. The point is is no one knew about those times. And Jesus comes up to him and says, "I saw you under that tree." What Jesus is saying is that he was there. Whatever that moment was in Nathaniel's life, he was there. Whether it was grief, whether it was a regret, whether it was a horrible moment or a great moment, Jesus says... He was there he was there he was there for all of it and that's the goodness of god this morning to us isn't it that's what jesus christ says to each and every one of us whether it was days ago whether it was weeks ago or months ago or years ago wherever you were when everything fell apart in your life when you thought you were alone wherever you were when you were sitting by yourself pondering the next steps wherever you were when you were so confused That place you were when you thought you were all alone, you were never alone. No, God was there. God was there, and he always has been. And when Jesus Christ comes up to him and tells him this, when he calls out that place that only Nathanael knows, that only one person could ever know, Nathanael's life is transformed in a second. He says, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Just a little bit of faith is good enough for Jesus. He can transform your life. He knows you this morning. He's always known you this morning. Trust in Him. Believe in Him today. Trust Him for the forgiveness of your sins, for the resurrection power that can come into your life. Know Him as the Son of God this morning who died and rose again for you. This passage continues, and we see really our third and our final point this morning. Jesus shows you the upward journey. Verse 50, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus Christ shows up and says to Nathanael, my knowledge of you, my perfect knowledge of you has opened your eyes. You've come and seen. Your life is transformed. But he says, you're going to see something greater. He says, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, what does this mean? What does this mean? Well, Nathaniel would have certainly known that phrase. It comes from the book of Genesis. It's a reference to Jacob's dream. And in that dream, Jacob is on the run. Jacob's been in kind of a transitional period in his life. And, and he has this dream, and he sees this ladder, it's, or perhaps a staircase, and it's going up to heaven. It's, it's from heaven into earth, and there's angels going up and down and up and down the ladder. It's a significant moment in, in Jacob's life. It's significant because what it represents to, to Jacob back then was that God had not given up on him. Despite being on the run, just despite any shortcomings that he had, God's connection to him was still open. Through that ladder, through that, through that staircase, there was access to God. Those little angels that were going up and down, up and down, they were bringing his prayers, they were bringing God's will, they were bringing God's word, they were, they were bringing God's, God's peace, right? So this, this dream of this ladder with these angels going up and down and up and down, and it symbolized that, hey, God is still with you. There's still connection to God. There's still relationship to God. But then Jesus comes on the scene here, and he tells Nathaniel something beyond Anything he could ever imagine. He says, you're going to see the, the angels of God ascending and descending. But he says, it's not going to be on a ladder. You're going to see them going up and down and up and down, but not on the ladder, but on me. It's a metaphor. He's, he's not actually saying that you're going to see angels going up and down on him. What he's, what he's saying is that Jacob's dream was not just a dream. Jacob's dream was a promise. And the fulfillment of that promise is who I am. He's saying, it'll be through me that God is seen. It'll be through me that God is heard. It'll be through me that your prayers go to God. It'll be through me that heaven and earth finally meet. He's saying, Nathaniel, you're going to see something better, something greater than me just having perfect knowledge of you. He says, what you're going to see is that I'm the perfect son of God. I have a relationship with God that is eternal, that's constant. And therefore, to know me, to trust me, means you will have an open and direct relationship with God himself. Which means for us this morning is that through faith in Jesus Christ, we have access to the greatest relationship, the greatest connection, the greatest purpose. It means that to know him, to know him this morning, means you've been invited into the greatest journey possible for your life. A journey to use your life for the glory of God. Every civilization has built tabernacles and obelisks and temples and shrines to break this barrier between God and man. Everybody knows, in all times, and all places, there is this barrier between us and God. But this morning we're reminded that Jesus Christ himself, he is the bridge that breaks through that barrier. He's the final tabernacle, the final temple, the final mediator between us and God the one who can give you a relationship with God this morning, who can give you a journey towards God this morning that's beyond anything you could ever imagine. If you'll call on His name this morning, if you'll come and see, if you'll examine the evidence, if you'll let Him transform your life, He can bring you on a journey that is beyond anything you could ever imagine. Today, come and see. Let your life be transformed by the living Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin. Trust in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC Podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.